Well, good morning. Uh, have you ever had a long-held belief challenged and you realized uh, something you thought you knew, you were actually wrong? Uh, our daughters are right up here, and, and they love to read. And through the years, they've loved to read, and every now and then we'll read out loud, and Lydia would be reading along and say, and then they buried something. We're like, what did you just say? Buried. Like, no, that's buried. No, it says buried. So, I mean, for years she read it, and in her head she said buried. Um, and, and we challenged her, and she disagreed with us, and then finally she realized we were right. But now every now and then, still her habit, as she's reading, she'll say buried. Or, or a new one came up this week, Arkansas. Um, you know, there, there's this state called Arkansas. No, it's Arkansas. And, you know, beliefs that you're, you're challenged, um, and you've long held it, and there's some, some humility to realize, oh, I need to change that. Uh, and when we get to spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs, that can become even more so. Uh, when I was a, a young man, I was in Moscow, and, and I was facilitating a men's Bible study. And in this Bible study, we had Americans, Canadians, Africans, Germans, Russians, I think that's all. Um, but as we started to open up the Bible and start talking, we realized we have the same word, but we're coming at it from different points of view. And it was really a positive thing to go, okay, time out. We need to take our traditions and compare them with Scripture because there were some things people just believed. And then we looked at the word and went, oh, that's not in there. And there's some things that I just kind of, I just believed it. This is just what's right. And realized, oh, that was actually just my Americanness not actually biblical truth. And so it was helpful for us then to go to the source of truth, the word, and compare that to our traditions and hopefully be willing to change some of those traditions or long-held beliefs. You know, God sometimes has to reset us. I've found that what slows the gospel the most is not normally outside sources, but it's normally apathetic Christians or Christians that are just stuck. This is the way we do things, and we're not going to change the way we do things because this is the way we do things. Well, today we're going to watch Peter. We're going to be in Acts 10, and we're going to watch Peter as God changes some of Peter's traditions. And for Peter, these are more than just traditions. I mean, these were, were Jewish law, mosaic law things that they were supposed to do, and God is changing them some things. Jesus is telling Peter, since I died on the cross and rose from the dead, some things are different now. And Peter's going to wrestle with this. And then we're going to see God do some great things. Uh, it was kind of one of those watershed moments that changed history that made it possible for you and me to become believers. You and me who are Gentiles, that is. Any of you who are Jews, you're maybe a little bit different. But the rest of us, Gentiles, here we see that final expansion of God's church to reach to people like us. So turn to Acts 10. We're going to start in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to all the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have been uh, have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here's the scene. Remember Acts 1.8. That's what we see at the beginning here. Uh, but Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the pattern that we see in Acts, and that's really the pattern we continue, continue to see today as the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, places like Nevada. Well, here we've already seen it go to Samaria. We've already seen it then go to uh, this eunuch from Ethiopia, so kind of to the ends of the earth, but we haven't yet seen uh, Gentiles. And this is unique because Gentiles were a unique group. They weren't Samaritans. Uh, you know, Samaritans had a closer tie to Judaism somewhat, uh, but these, these Gentiles were, were unclean uh, dogs. However, you, you might want to say it, this guy, Cornelius, is a leader. You know, he's a soldier, he's a leader of many, but he's a God-fearer. Cornelius worships the God of the Jews, that's what that means. But Cornelius was never converted to Judaism. I mean, these are kind of some of those just little pieces that will matter, he, he worshiped God, he believed in God, Yahweh, but he didn't convert, convert to Judaism. I, I think, we, I mean, we don't know why. Might have changed his life too much. But he was still a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And here, Israel, you know, God's chosen people, they had the Abrahamic covenant, and then they had the Mosaic covenant. But in the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was promised by God, you will be a blessing to the nations. So all through the Old Testament, uh, Israel is God's chosen people, and they had a mission to be a blessing to the nations, which was finally fulfilled in Jesus. The prophets in the Old Testament, the Jewish prophets, looked forward to a day when even the Samaritans, or I'm sorry, even the Gentiles could be saved. That day had come right here, and we should be thankful for that. So here's this story, you know, uh, Cornelius, uh, a worshiper of God, God gives him a vision and says, send for Peter. And this is the Peter we all know. And so meanwhile, while this is happening, here's the other scene. Here's Peter. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey, approaching the, the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here's this scene. You know, Peter has a vision. Now, place yourself in Peter's shoes. Peter is a devout Israelite, a devout Jew. He was raised a Jew. He had never eaten anything unclean. He followed the Mosaic law like he was supposed to do. And in that law, uh, maybe you've heard of a, a kosher diet. In that law, there were certain things that the Jews were prohibited from eating. One example would be pigs, unfortunately. No bacon, you know, BLT without the B. This was, you know, part of their, part of their life. It's just how they lived. You know, you have the Sabbath and certain distances you can go and whatever. This was part of not just his tradition, but really what God had given him in the Mosaic Law. 
But we know that, that Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he completed the Mosaic law. It, you know, it was fulfilled in Jesus. And so some things were changing here. And he's trying to change something in Peter, but Peter's a little bit resistant. I mean, notice here, he has to do it three times. Three times. I think that's a little bit interesting. You know, read the Gospels and look at Peter. Peter is one of these, I really like Peter because I think I can relate to him some. Uh, he's a little bit impetuous. You know, when, when they're on the road at one point and Jesus turns and he says, who am I? Or, or who do people say that I am? And they answer, he says, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who says, you are the Messiah. And he says, that's right. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then just a couple verses later, Jesus is telling them how he's going to go and how he's going to die and rest from the dead. And Peter's like, time out. I have a better plan. You shouldn't go to the cross. You shouldn't die. And he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, this is Peter. Yeah, he says something great, and then he puts his foot in his mouth. Here, he, he's on, you know, he's praying, and, he, and he's, a trance comes down, and he gets his vision, and his first response is no. I, I mean, Jesus appears and says, I'm going to change something. He says no. He has to tell him three times. This is something important for us as believers. Are we willing to be changed? Are we willing to adjust our thinking to what God wants to do? So uh, here's, a, here's a rock. Peter's name, Simon, changed to Peter. Peter actually means rock. And, and you know, rocks are good things, but they're also kind of hard. Are you like a rock when God wants to change you? When you hear something in God's word, or maybe from some pastor or maybe somebody in your small group, or maybe your parents that are right at times, uh, you hear things, and it just bounces off. I don't want to change. I know better. I, you know, pride, right? It's pride of, I'm stuck here. Or are you maybe more like slime? So Elise got slime for her birthday, and uh, we had some fun making this. So me and Elise made this slime. If you've never done it, I highly recommend it. Well, here's slime. You make this. It's kind of fun to play with. And you can mold it. You know, you can kind of shape it. But there's something about slime. It takes the shape of whatever it's in. And, um, you know, you can stretch it. It's really cool. But as you set it down, eventually it finds its own shape again. And I think sometimes we can be like slime, where we hear stuff, we're like, hey, that sounds good. You know, maybe we move, but we just get in our patterns of life or patterns of thinking, and we just go back to our same old shape. And i got to tell you, I've seen this over and over in my own life, but in Christians' lives, where they hear truth, they're like, that sounds great, that changes my life. And then they walk out the doors and just go right back to whatever they were doing. Or, can we be more like Play-Doh? You know what I mean? Uh, we had some clay, but it got hard, so I couldn't use that. But Play-Doh works, are we like Play-Doh? I mean, look at this picture. You know, it's, it's humble, it's moldable. Can God take your heart, your mind, your life, and can he mold you into what he wants to do with you, in what he wants to make you, and then set it down and it stays in that shape? Are we like clay? Are we like Play-Doh? Or, or you see the slime, it's already wanting to go back to its own shape. Or a rock where there's nothing happening. Well, Peter at first responds a little bit like a rock. He says no. But God Tells him three times, and we're going to see what God does with him, but here's in your notes. In our process of sanctification, God will have to change some long-held beliefs. In our process of sanctification, God will have to change some long-held beliefs. So, 
as the story goes on, verse 17 and on, uh, there's a knock on the door. Peter comes down. They say, hey, we've been sent. Will you come with us? He says, yes. He goes with them. Pick it up in uh, verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Time out real quick. That's kind of awesome. You know, Cornelius, God had appeared to him. He's a, he's a God worshiper. Maybe he'd been telling his friends and family about this one true God. And God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send somebody to tell you all about what the truth is. And he doesn't just sit there and wait. He calls all his family and friends over to hear the truth. He's evangelizing before he even knows what the truth is fully. That's kind of cool. Anyway, verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, Stand up, I too am a man. All right, time out again. <laughs> Here, any time one of God's people, somebody tries to worship, even an angel, they don't accept the worship. They don't accept the bowing. There is one God, Jesus. You know, and, and Peter, who was supposedly the first pope, you know, look how history has treated popes. You know, people kiss the ring and bow. That's not the way. So we don't bow before any people, God alone. Verse 27, and as he talked with them, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? I mean, this is such a good picture. You know, Peter, again, he, he had this vision, now he gets it. Yeah, you know, first, God, why would you want me to eat things unclean? You know, I've never done that, I'm not going to. Well, here's something else. Gentiles were also unclean. So just like, you know, if a, a Jewish person, you know, touched a dead body, they would be unclean for a period of time. If they ate something they weren't supposed to, they would be unclean. If they hung out with a Gentile, they could become unclean. Because of a Gentile, their own diet, or their association with idols and things like that, just being with a Gentile or going into their house could make a Jew unclean. So often the Jews would not even enter the house of a Gentile. But Peter here, he's humble, he's moldable. This is not something he would have done. But God says, no, I'm doing something different. This whole clean and unclean, I'm changing that system. It's not based on what you eat anymore. It's not based on these things. It's based purely on Jesus. Purely on, does somebody have Jesus as Lord of their life. If so, God views them as clean. It doesn't matter your color, your nationality, your gen doesn't matter any of that. If you have Christ, you're clean. He says, don't you call uncommon or, or filthy what I call clean. And so Peter gets that. He knows God is doing something different and he humbly is willing for, to let God change him. And he goes in. Now listen, this is in your notes also. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he removed any possibility of prejudice. Any possibility of prejudice. Now, Peter's going to later go back to Jerusalem, and his fellow Jews are going to get on him. You know, what are you doing hanging out with Gentiles? We don't hang out with them. That, that, that's not what we do, and he's going to explain it to them, and we're going to see that in a minute. But within the church, there is no room for prejudice. I think it's somewhat interesting we land on this in, in where we are in society right now. You know, and I wrestle with this a little bit here in Carson City. You know, is there prejudice? I grew up in Colorado. I personally haven't dealt with a, a lot of prejudice, but yet it does exist. It does exist, but within the church, there is no isms. 
you know, sexism, racism, go, go whatever. There are no isms. God has, has broken down those walls. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul says it this way. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Or he'll say it this way in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. His point, we're all equal before the Lord. There should be no separation. No, no isms between us. And again, even though I haven't dealt with this much in my life or seen it, it does exist. And I've read the history and, and seen it has existed a lot within the church. Do they not read the same words? There is no room for any of this prejudice within the church. So Peter, who, who you know, you can argue, was he prejudiced or was he just following the law? Well, here he breaks down whatever it is and he enters the house. He goes in. And he, it's somewhat like he says, I understand why I'm here. You know, God is changing my point of view. I'm realizing what Jesus actually did on the cross. He said, but why did you send for me? Why did you send for me? 34. So Peter opened his mouth, and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good things and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not all the people... Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here, Peter preaches the gospel again. The one thing that sticks out to me here, when he preaches to the Jews, he says, you killed him. When he preaches to the Gentiles, he says, they killed him. But the point is the same. Jesus was killed. Jesus was killed for our sins. And that falls on the Gentiles and the Samaritans just as much as any Jew. We are responsible for Jesus' death on the cross. But God raised him from the dead. And belief in him brings forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. Everyone who believes, you see in verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved and made clean. That's this whole idea where God is telling Peter, don't you call common what I've made clean. If we find life in Jesus, we are made clean. Do you get that? I, I mean, this is the great exchange. Jesus died on the cross in your place and mine so that God could look at you and see his son. Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. Nobody has ever done that until Jesus. And so we have this exchange. He died the death we deserve so he could give us the life he deserves. So God looks at you and says, clean, pure, righteous. Even though we know we got some things to work on, sanctification. We, oh, see, look at here. 
the slime. It's all flattened out. It went back to what it is. Well, that's our life. We, we go back, but yet, sanctification, now that we're saved, we want God to mold us and change us and adjust us. Now, here's another question. Why did God send Peter? He gave a vision to Cornelius. Why didn't in his vision, he just tell him all the story? Well, I think that's significant too. God still does this, by the way. We still hear stories of God giving visions to people, but whenever he does, he sends one of his people to him. He sends a servant because the church is one. If, if God would have told Cornelius and, and laid it all out, you might have had a Gentile church and then a Jewish church. But God's plan is one church. No dividing walls. It's all broken down. And so he sends Peter. And Peter goes, preaches the word, and what happens in verse 18? Uh, no, not 18. 11, 18. I want to skip forward to that real quick. Verse 11, 18. Because in 11, 18, we see Peter teach about this uh, to the, the Jews in Jerusalem. And it says this in 11.18, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the, the Jewish Christians celebrated this as well. and said, We now get it also. We are one church together. But now he preaches the word. What happens in verse 44? While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. A couple things stick out to me. The Holy Spirit falls when? While Peter's preaching. They, they don't pray a prayer. They don't get baptized and then the Holy Spirit falls. They believe, obviously. They were all ready to believe anyway. Peter shares it, and when he says, if you believe, you'll have life, they're like, well, we believe. Holy Spirit falls. Super cool. So, is baptism required for salvation? Well, they weren't baptized yet, and they received the Holy Spirit. And if you receive the Holy Spirit, you're saved, you're sealed, the Bible says. But then their first act of obedience was they got dunked. They got baptized. So the Holy Spirit falls and they speak in tongues. Why do the Gentiles speak in tongues? They're in a house. This is different. The first time the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, they went out and spoke in other languages. Why? For evangelism. So all these other people could hear and were saved and thousands were saved that day. So why did these Gentiles also speak in tongues? so that God could tell them clearly the same spirit, the same power, the same mission, all this. So they spoke in tongues also. Now, some are going to claim that we should all also speak in tongues when we receive the Holy Spirit. But you'll see as you read on in Acts, it didn't always happen this way. It did this time so that God could clearly say, one church, one spirit, we're united. But then later, he's going to do it differently. God uh, is free to do things his own way. But I want to go back to Peter. Let's look at Peter real quick. I mean, here, again, we read Acts. We see a great story. And it's the flow of the gospel. Now it's going to the Gentiles. This is a great watershed moment for us. We are grateful for this. Because because of a moment like this, we know we can also be saved. But let's hone in on Peter real quick. Peter, 
a faithful believer, a faithful Jesus follower, and Jesus challenges his beliefs, and his first response was, no, I've never done that. But he's willing to change. He's willing to get uncomfortable. He goes to those people that he wouldn't normally go into their house, and he tells them, I really shouldn't be coming into your house, and here I am. He's willing to get uncomfortable. Faithful Jesus followers are willing... See? That's uncomfortable. (laughs) We're done with those anyway. Faithful Jesus followers are willing to get uncomfortable. You know, we might call this evangelistic hospitality. Peter, he has all these things that might get in the way of him, but he he put those aside. I imagine he went into that, that, that house ready to eat whatever they put before him. He had just seen this vision, eat anything, he could go in and he, he was willing to get uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians 9.22. This is the verse where we get our, our church name, by the way. This is the New Living Translation, and it's Paul writing. He says, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can that I might save some. I find common ground. That's what Peter does when he goes there. Common ground. The, the dividing walls are broken down. Here's my point. Stop putting religious barriers up between you and others. We do this, and we don't always do this on purpose. You know, the church is supposed to be one of those very welcoming places. You know, but I've heard this said, I've heard somebody say, you know, I've I've read the Bible this way for 30 years, I can't change now. It's like, well, if it's true, we should be willing to adjust. Or I've heard this one. I know the Bible says, but... Never say that. (laughs) Whatever you say next, you're wrong. I know the Bible says, but I want to do it this way. You know, we instead are to be molded by God's word, changeable, adjustable, and ready to receive anybody God might give to us. Uh, We were, I was part of a a skit in the church one one year, uh, one day, and there was a guy who dressed up like a, a biker. He dressed up rough. He was, everybody in the church knew this guy. He dressed up rough and mean looking. Uh, and when he came in, all the people that knew him wouldn't look at him. <laughs> they, they, they didn't recognize him. And, they, and he, this is somebody they knew and loved, but they were so uncomfortable by him, nobody even said hi to him. And it was one of those weird things, kind of a, a side thing that you learn about some people. Who, if they walked in here, would you go, oh my. You know, th- those people shouldn't be here. Everybody's welcome. You know the one uh, type of person that Christians are told not to associate with? There's only one. It's people who claim to be believers but walk in open disobedience. Where we're told to to disassociate somebody walking in open sin. And and, in Scripture, the one there, the, the, the example given is sexual sin where you're just walking around going, I'm living in sin, no big deal. Oh, and I belong to Jesus. We have to distance ourselves from that. But everybody else, welcome. Everybody else, bring in, we associate with. We break down any barriers between us and them. You know, this is on your bulletin that we put on there. You don't have to dress up, worry about your past, or pretend to be perfect. We want you to experience Jesus. And is that where our hearts are? Our hearts for people. Are there those people that you're like, oh, those are those, are those people? For us, there are none of those people. And then, if I still had the Play-Doh here, I'd show you. Are we, are we moldable? Are we like putty in God's hand that he can mold? Or do we have a tendency to hear and then just bounce back to what we are? To hear and bounce back. Or are we like a rock? 
You know, right now, we live in a difficult time, and God is doing some things. Are we willing to do things differently? Are we willing to be changed and do things a little bit differently? You know, I've been learning more and more about some of those um, traditional beliefs we have in the American church that I was unaware were so prevalent, but because of this time, they're really rising up. I, I read a book in the past couple weeks um, trying to understand this understand, you know, why people believe this. But within the church, there's been this long-held belief in America that the United States is like the new Israel. Uh, the promises to, to the Abrahamic covenant, all this in the Old Testament, now apply to the United States, that we're this new Israel in this new promised land. And I don't get it, and it's, and it's causing some problems in the church, in our country right now. Um, and so I had to read some books to try to understand why do people think that. And they have reasons to believe that. But there's some adjustment. We, you know, if that's one of you, we need to make some adjustment. Yeah, we're American, but first, we're Christians. And we need to let God's word shape us. Now, we're going to continue to worship. Um, and it, we're excited to move in the next few weeks into a, a Christmas series. Uh, make sure you come the next few Sundays and Christmas Eve because they all go together. You don't want to miss any. Um, but as we, as we move to worship, let me ask you this. Let God work on your heart. Is there anything where you're kind of like the rock? You know, not, not the actor. I mean like a stone. <laughs> is, there, is there any area where your heart, you, you, God does not have access to this? Pray, let the Holy Spirit grab you. Let him change you. And make commitments that as you go, you're not going to be like, like the slime where you go back to just your old shape, but you let God shape you. And part of then staying in that shape is learning how to abide. It really is to walk in lockstep with Jesus. And so consider that class coming up a week from Thursday. It's going to be awesome. But right now, as we respond, we have our prayer walls. You know, go to the prayer wall. Write a prayer to God. Stay there and just maybe pray in your own seat. Get on your knees. Stand up and worship. Whatever God leads you to do, respond how he's leading you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the salvation of the Gentiles, who most of us here are Gentiles. And so we thank you um, that, Jesus, your sacrifice was good enough for us. We thank you that we don't need to, to look a certain way. Uh, God, we thank you that our past does not disqualify us from a relationship with you. And God, I ask that you would work on our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, those watching online, those here in the room, God, is there an area you are working on us and we are resistant? Please, please, please break through our barriers. And we know that's our fault. Uh, we're, we're proud, we're resistant, we're difficult. Thanks for loving us even though we're difficult. But I, I ask God that you would work a miracle in our hearts. Grab us. Do not let us stay hard to you. We want to see you do great things in us and through us. And so mold us and fill us with the love and thanksgiving that we have in you because of what you have done for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.